administered by Desert Pines High School. Hosted by Philip Adetan. KJAG Radio presents to you Jag in the Dark. Hello and welcome to another episode of Jag in the Dark. We are on now, episode 5. Today we'll be discussing the horrors of real life. A bit, maybe too close for reality. Let's get into our first story. False Reality Dream of Paranoia by creepypasta.fandom.com As I write this, my door is half open, and I hear noises coming from outside my room. Paranoia, perhaps? It is 2.30am, and I'm sort of freaked out because of the dream I just had. There are two parts to this dream. I can't remember where it started, but I remember I was at my friend Jesse's house. He was going to, I think, Trinity, and I was trying to get into the school called Heights. My mom told me that I was about to get into Heights. Because of my universal blood type, I couldn't. Back to Jesse's house. It seemed odd. His living room was green-filled, plants laid everywhere with a mixture of silver and green tile. The walls themselves were slightly green, along with a huge old-school moderator. I remember his mom telling us that no one could be over, but because she knew me, I was allowed to stay. This will be important later. While I was at his house, I recall seeing one of my friends there. Pelama. She was acting very sweet. Her attitude appeared very nice, and I think I remember one of her friends being there, but then disappeared suddenly. She was wearing white. I remember wanting to hug her, but the dream itself kept distracting me, as if the dream line needed to be followed. The importance of this is that she told us to wait a second. She grabbed her phone and called her dad. I can't remember why she called her dad, but she appeared as though she was asking for something. She began crying as her dad said no. She begged and pleaded as she tried persuading her father to get her what she wanted. Jesse and I watched as she did this. Normally I seemed more interested than he did. She hung up the phone and smiled as it seemed she got what she wanted. I felt like a kid. I tried playing with her, but it seemed like a very, very minimal period of times. I poked her. She giggled. I started then to feel sleepy. Very sleepy. I remember taking an hour nap and Jesse wakes me up and tries to tell me how long we were asleep. You fell asleep also? Where's Paloma? Jesse's mom comes into the room and tells us that we've slept for 14 hours and we're late for school. We somehow spend a good 10 minutes trying to figure out the date when I finally pull up my laptop and tell them the correct time and date. You meant we slept for two hours, I complain. Yeah, I guess so, dude. We're already late for school, let's just go. It was around 10 p.m. Before I continue, let me give you the background of Jesse and I in this dream. Jesse went to a school called Trinity in this dream. But there was also a school named Heights, which is the one I went to. In this dream, my mom tells me that I'm supposed to go to Heights, but because my blood type, I could not. Yet in the course of the dream, it switches. I want to go to Trinity. I start off in Heights. I do not know how this works. The school both lie on top of old withered hills. Anyway, we had gone into a van, and I remember Israel, Jesse's brother, being half asleep. Somewhere in this trip, he would be the one driving. 
Jesse got in the driver's seat and we drove down past the ways to the school. I was in the middle throughout every ride in this dream. It was night so I couldn't imagine driving through the night in nearly complete darkness. Somehow, we did manage. We drove to the school, got our education for the day, and left. I don't remember being in school, nor receiving an education. All I know is that it happened. We were driving back from school and ended up on a mountainside going up and down a very narrow pathway with the van. Israel was driving. Jesse and I were talking, just laughing, when we spotted a driver knock on his window, which apparently appeared to be audible to us, and tell us to look over our left. We see Israel passed out in the driver's seat, wobbling his head as we hit bumps on the road. Jesse and I freaked out. We look at the road, and there was a lot of upcoming twists and spirals and turns on the narrow road on the side of the mountain. How fortunate. Abel, right, 35 degrees, Jesse exclaimed. He kept giving me degrees of the wheel to turn, which didn't make sense at all because the angles were dramatically wrong. I had to turn the wheel almost all the way at times. It became overwhelming to me. Oh my god, Jesse shouted. We hit an edge of the mountain and tipped off going off the mountain. I don't remember crashing, but we ended up all being safe. And the bottom was a very rocking pathway that seemed to dissolve when the ground was flat. I tried with the best of my ability to get out that part and onto a rocky part. Watch out, Jesse. The ground dissolves. It leads to an abyss. Be careful. He looks at the ground and starts digging. What are you doing? Israel looked at it also to see what Jesse was doing. He went into a hole he created. It seemed to lead into a cavern because how easy it was for him to jump in. Jesse, get out of there! No response. In another part of the flat dissolving ground, as though they were digging, I see Jesse come out of the ground. This was very odd. As he came out of the ground, he got up on the flat ground and jumped into the hole he created again. He repeated this process by going back up and jumping back into the hole he created, faster each time. I started in amazement. As he did this, it seemed as though he was multiplying. As he jumped in, another one came out, making it seem like a loop. Ha! Abel, look! I stared in shock. Seconds went by and I saw about twenty clones of Jesse standing there, facing away from me. Israel just smirked and giggled, fully awake. How odd of me to dream this. It gets even more weird in the second part of the dream. The dream felt like I wasn't even dreaming, which made me feel worse. I ended up back in Jesse's house. It seemed like an alternate ending middle to the dream. I woke up as I did in the first part, but this time Palomar was there with a little boy. They both played. I watched and smiled at the happiness. I stood up and opened my nearby laptop and began to look up a movie, which I saw a commercial of in the dream. Do not watch this movie, the commercial said. Come on, you expect me to listen to that? I looked up an illegal copy of it online. The description of the movie was, Scenes in this movie are horrifying. Do not watch. At this point, I think, how fun. As I make the decision, Paloma appears to the left of me and offers me a box of chocolate. I gladly take them. There was something odd about the box. It showed two chocolate bars in an X formation with letters in another language. I disregard the weird letters and open the box and start on a bar. I look up out of the computer screen and my mom was there. Paloma had disappeared. I clicked play on the movie. The movie itself, in a way, was very awkward to a degree. It showed a tree view of a car usually moving through a forest, and suddenly two very ugly, nearly dead-looking clown heads appear over the scene, and a loud yell was heard. The screen then switched scenes to an animation, but where these potato-looking characters were hitting themselves with a couple of small potatoes. 
This wasn't meant to be funny because there were so many things off about this. The potatoes had a lot of human-like traits. They bled as they hit one another. They felt angry. Out of their backs grew these gruesome tentacles that made the potatoes look very much mutilated. I continued eating the chocolate and watching the movie when I recalled a memory of friends at school telling me about it. Dude, <laughs> if you watch that movie, you're in trouble. I remembered Eduardo saying that. I felt very strange. For a moment, I knew what was happening. A moment of apophony, if you will. I read the back of the chocolate box. Do not eat. Will cause noises and scenes to appear real. A hallucination warning, basically. To my knowledge, inside the dream, I was set up to a degree. Things in my mind, my actual mind, and not the one in the dream, began to go haywire. I stood up and looked towards Jesse and Israel's bed to see a dog with a pointed head appear there. Oh my, I thought. You aren't real. The dream at this point seemed so vivid, I could now determine what was logical and illogical, such as in reality. The dog had sunken eyes. His snout looked punched inside. It ran towards me and I freaked out. I ran out of Jesse's room, but the dog jumped towards me. I hit my head into a nearby refrigerator and passed out. I'm very much disturbed at this point. I wake up in the dream. I wish I could wake up in person. I appear on the floor. Two kittens are placed in front of me and a loud voice speaks. Choose one to love, it demanded. I looked at both of them. The left one was a cloudy dark gray, while the right one was a tan color. I chose the brown one. When I chose, they both stopped what they were doing and the gray one walked off. I began to play with the brown cap. Somehow, things didn't seem right. I continued to play. Out of thin air, the black kitten leaped onto my left wrist and clung onto it. It began to speak. I didn't understand it. As it talked suddenly, the voice of the kitten turned demonic and I freaked out. I stood up and I appeared at my house. Everywhere I looked, there were animals that were very odd looking, wandering. He watched the movie. Ha, <laughs> my mom says. So, what's so bad about it, I ask. Stuff becomes real, you know, she replies. You ate the chocolate? Ha, <laughs> she exclaims laughing. Everyone was sitting down and all I could see was these horrifying images of living things that couldn't seem real at all. I'll go into detail later because of the time. I walk into near the kitchen and I see the pointy-headed dog appear. You aren't real, I shout. Everyone laughs at me. It just stares at me and jumps into what seemed to be a portal. All I do in this dream is hallucinate. False reactions, false everything. It wouldn't stop. Imagine if that was not a dream and every single scene in that second part of the dream were real. How scared would you be? That's how I was. I woke up around 2.30 and now it's 4am. I don't think I'll be heading to bed anytime soon. I wonder what this dream meant. I'm scared right now and I don't know if I should get up or lay down risking being dragged back into the dream. A very terrific story, once again found on creepypasta.fandom.com This specific story is found on the Creepypasta app. I recommend checking it out for all of your scary stories that you'd like to all read. Let's get into our next one. Buzzing Sound of Devil Street Found on creepypasta.fandom.com Can you hear that? Susie said to her husband, who was dead asleep. He didn't answer. 
She shook him again, hoping she didn't have to be surrounded in the darkness alone. Still no answer. Not even a grunt of anger. Buzz, buzz. That dreaded sound annoyed her every day this week. Why was she the only one who could hear it? She didn't have a clue. Taking the blankets off, she decided to listen for the sound to see where it was coming from. Slowly down the hall, trying not to make a peep, she glided gently along the walls in the dark. Miss Susie, a man's voice said in a low, calm tone. Susie came to a complete stop. Her heart beat faster as she sensed someone in front of her, like a slow, cool breeze. But she couldn't make out any solid objects. Squinting, she still couldn't see if anyone was in front of her. The breeze still came towards her. She could feel her body shiver with each hit of the mysterious wind. Why aren't you lying with your husband? The voice slowly became a person right in front of her eyes. His head evolved from the air into a man not from this earth. He wore a large black hood that covered his whole body. He floated above the floor by several inches. When he smiled, his sinister teeth caught the glimmer of the moon. Susie stepped back a few inches, feeling a pain on her heel. She didn't whimper, though. Her fear took over, making her almost paralyzed. The man's hand, long and disfigured, came pointing towards the door of her and her husband's room. With all of her strength, she looked towards the doorway. She didn't see anything until she felt something hit her head and her eyes closed. Two months later, the daughter came into the house. She had brought along her boyfriend. You never told me what happened with your parents, he said smiling and holding her hand. She smiled, but it was an empty one. She looked down, not sure what to say. They passed away over two months ago. It was a big tragedy. Apparently their house was robbed and they got caught in a robbery gone wrong. Her voice twinkled with sadness. He nodded in sympathy, not saying another word about it. She knew what she had told them was a lie. How can she tell him that her parents left the house and had gone somewhere not even telling anyone where? To top it off, the house was completely destroyed after their leaving. She sighed in regret lying to her boyfriend like this. They entered the house side by side. All the furniture was there, but the walls were bare. You go on ahead. I'll wait out here for the U-Haul truck with our stuff in it. That's right, she thought. They had brought beds and tons of boxes. She nodded and headed towards the darkness that filled the once happy home. She walked through the hallway imagining what would have happened the night they decided to leave. What could have caused them to? As she was walking along the corridor, remembering all of the good times she had as a child, things began to look different to her. Stopping, she squinted at the wall. She gasped and tried finding a reasonable answer, although nothing could hide the fact that it was indeed scratch marks alongside of the wall. Cats? Someone running with scissors? Vandalism? Rational explanations kept flooding her mind. It's such an old place. Maybe it is vandalism. Kids must have picked the lock, snuck in, and used a knife or scissors to scratch up the walls. She thought aloud, smiling to herself. Nothing to worry about, then, she added inside her head. Next, she headed towards her mother and father's room. With a hint of sadness and doubt, she opened the door to find nothing or no one in the room. Before now, she had opened this door millions of times, seeing them smiling at her and feeling the love run through her body. Now, all that runs through her body is the sadness of never seeing her parents again. Charles, it's here, Brad called from the front door. She immediately shook the daydream away, but couldn't help to feel that something had been there with her. Following her boyfriend's call, she was confronted with two other men taking the boxes down alongside the bed. Hours later, the truck had been emptied. They thanked the two men for their hard work and paid them $20 each. Upon unpacking the boxes, there was one marked with a strange symbol. 
What is it, Brad? She said, noticing that he was motioning for her to come to where he was. What's this? he asked, sounding excited. She shrugged as she examined the mysterious mark. It looks like an ancient symbol or something. He looked at her with wondering eyes that said he wanted to open the thing. She looked at him and said, If you're thinking about opening this thing, then forget it. It looks weird and, and evil. I don't want to unleash some demon thing or the devil. He laughed as soon as she finished. He rested his hand on her shoulder and said, But don't we live on Devil Street? She gave him a sarcastic look and continued with her packing. Later on in the evening, she had fallen asleep. Brad looked at the unopened strange box that carried the mysterious symbol with curious eyes. If Chelsea's asleep, then it'll be perfect because she won't know, right? He thought as he grinned to himself. He grabbed the box and headed to their used-to-be Chelsea's parents' bedroom, but now it's their bedroom. He closed the door gently, and without a second thought of regret, he opened the box to find a simple laptop. It must be Chelsea's old laptop. He thought as he held it in his hands. He could feel something trickle down his spine. Not enough to cause hysteria, though, but enough for him to shiver from the cold. He looked to see the window and thought maybe there might be an opening in it. He opened the laptop, and the last thing he saw before he faded to black was the Google homepage. It must have been midnight since it was still dark when Chelsea opened her eyes to hear a faint buzzing sound. My phone! She said surprised, but worried if someone was calling her. She checked her pocket, but it was not coming from her phone. Well, it's gotta be Brad's, she thought, as she held the wall in the pitch black hallway. Brad! Brad! She called in a semi-scream, semi-whisper tone. Suddenly, the buzzing stopped. She sighed and headed to the bedroom to sleep on a real bed. She awoke in the morning to find she was alone in the house. Maybe he went to the store, she thought, as she got dressed and made breakfast. She ate her meal and thought about the buzzing sound again. She assumed it was Brad's phone, but he never puts it on vibrate. It suddenly slipped out of her mind as she was faced with more unpacking. She was in the middle of putting away dishes when she heard a light sound. It was like a high-pitched breathing, only low and drawn out. She looked around the corner, but every time she did, it would stop. She soon figured out it was nothing to worry about. Later that night, as she was getting ready for bed, she heard it again. This time, it was much, much slower. She looked around the room to find nothing strange or anything that could make that noise. She continued to comb her hair, ignoring everything. Suddenly, she realized something was missing. Her boyfriend. He hadn't come back since he left this morning. She also realized that she hadn't even seen him leave. She called the police, but they said they couldn't do anything until the next day. She nodded and thanked them. She hardly slept through the night playing scenarios of what could have happened to him. In the middle of those thoughts, she had fallen asleep only to wake up with the same buzzing noise. She got up and listened closely. It couldn't have been the neighbors because there weren't any around. It couldn't have been a cell phone because she had turned hers off. She wondered if it was the alarm clock she had recently bought. She unplugged it and the buzzing had stopped. She was relieved that it was only the alarm clock. She fell back to sleep. Later around 3 a.m., she was awakened by the same buzzing sound. Buzz, buzz. She got up and looked at the alarm clock. It was off. But where was the sound coming from? She got up and checked the whole room to find nothing. Thump. She immediately turned around. It came from under the bed. She grabbed a flash drive, and with a closer examination, she saw a laptop. Maybe it used to be Brad's, she thought aloud, trying to reassure herself. 
She reached slowly for it, but something made pain alongside her arm. It burned, and she got her arm to find a large scratch. Could have been from a nail on the floor. She went to the living room, grabbed a broom, and came back to the room. She eventually got hold of this laptop and put it on her desk. She fell asleep tired and waited till morning to check the thing out. As soon as she got dressed, she sat at the chair to her desk. Opening the laptop, it didn't seem different other than it not having any brand symbols. The only symbol on it was the one in the lower hand corner. The same one that was on the box. Then she thought back about Brad wanting to open the box. She got angry and understood why he had gone. The laptop started to a normal screen that looked exactly like the Windows Vista sign-in screen. There were two accounts on this laptop. The first one was called, First of All. The second titled, Secondly. She decided to click on the first one. It opened it up and nothing seemed to be odd. Unless you count no programs as a plain black desktop background. Odd. She examined everything, making sure to find at least something, and finally found a text document. Regarding her decision and curiosity, she double-clicked it. When it opened, it appeared to be two pages long. She read aloud, hoping it would calm her nerves. First of all, I would like to thank you for purchasing this laptop. It means so much to me that you would go out of your way for the person you hate. As one of the nine satanic statements says, he represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Now, let me explain what will happen to the person you despise. Much like a voodoo doll, but the total opposite. You give them or hide it for them to find. Once they open it, they will be sent to hell for all eternity. You have exactly five days to cast the spell. She stopped reading. Sadness filled her stomach knowing someone had hated him. It raised to her throat causing a lump and eventually a tear flew from her eye. She sobbed as her heart was breaking. She felt something tickle her spine and grew to become something sharp. She felt the pain in her lower back, sharpening until she became numb. Don't worry, my dear. A low, calm voice flushed over her. You'll be alright soon, he said. She became dizzy. The wall was spinning out of control as her eyes fluttered and stayed shut. The police were soon called by a friend who visited them and haven't heard any signs for the past five days. They barged in and saw nothing and no one. The walls were naked without any decoration. The rooms, each one, hollow without any furniture. The only thing remained was simply a laptop in the middle of the master bedroom. The policeman examined the laptop and found a text document was open. No words were written down. He logged off, but before shutting down, he logged into the second one titled, Secondly. Curiosity got the better of him. He was confronted with a nice family portrait. An elderly couple with a young lady holding a young man's hand. He smiled, and a text document showed up. It was titled, Whom You Wish to Curse. TXT. It simply read, The Newton Family. That concludes our second story, and wow, what a chilling one. It really invokes whether or not, if it's your mind playing tricks on you, or if it's something deeper than that. We now move on to our final story, once again found on the Creepypasta app. Idolia, found on creepypasta.fandom.com We've all had those nights late at night. Maybe you're a little tired and you turn off your lamp to help you relax, so it's just you and the dull glow of the screen. 
You hear a little noise behind you and jump. You turn around and there's a jet black silhouette of a man in the corner. But as your eyes focus, you realize it's only just a curtain. Dang, Cat must have been playing with it again. Got it all twisted up. The house was just settling. Your mind jumped to a dark place. Nothing to be afraid of. Not really. That's pareidolia. It happens to everybody at some point, so you shrug it off and go on with your day. But what if you don't? Is there a tiny slim chance that you're getting a peek behind the veil of reality, just for a split second? There on the edge of your awareness, where shapes become ambiguous and the rational part of your brain thinks it isn't worth the effort. Maybe that's where the monsters live. So you start paying a little more attention. Maybe you're the kind that's afraid of missing out on something, even if that something wants to shove the thumbtacks under your eyelids. Maybe that's just me. The days go by, and you've always got one little corner of your mind focused on that fuzzy line where vision ends. Nothing noteworthy happens for the longest time, and you start telling yourself, what a silly idea this was. Monsters, please. Just when you start to lay the idea to rest for good, it happens again. A dark shape, something less than a man, but more than an animal. Two coal red eyes that ooze hunger. Still, it's only a vague impression of evil. You whip your head around, your heart hammering at your ears. Just that lamp. Maybe your brain is just showing you what you expect to be there. After all, the mind plays tricks to keep reality in line with expectations. Still, you're really interested now. Whatever this is has your attention, and you've never been able to let the thing rest once it picks your curiosity. You become even more vigilant. In the back of your mind, you take stock of your peripheral vision. You try to push out further, expanding your vision beyond that impossible-to-dark place boundary between sight and darkness. You're dedicated to this crazy task now. For nearly three straight weeks, you probe, but to no avail. The curtain isn't drawing back any further. You see nothing out of the ordinary, so you give it a rest, once and for all. It's silly to think there's some hidden place between realities. That of billions and billions of people you're the first to notice. You always wanted to be special, didn't you? So you go back to the humdrum of daily routine. Maybe you were just bored. And then, one night, you're back at the computer, reading about some political snafu. You're not really into it. But you couldn't be bothered to find something better to do. Not right before bed. The room is dark. It's just like that first night, you muse. The creature colored like television static standing at your shoulder nods slowly. And wait, that's not right. You jump sideways, twisting as you fall. Nothing there, but nothing in its place either. No lamp, no curtain, no poster, nothing but air in that empty space where it stood. You stare for a good while, rubbing the nasty bump on your head. Finally, you step to the kitchen to grab an ice pack from the freezer. Troubled thoughts twist at your brain. Two is a coincidence. Three is a trend. You're hooked now. Maybe your mom always told you to quit while you were ahead. Maybe. Maybe that's just me. You're at the office the next day, tapping away at your computer. Your brain disengages and think back to the night before. It's still as you spooked. A thought zigs by and you're reminded of those nights laying in bed when you were just smacked between awareness and dreaming. You could watch your body relax, your breathing even out. Kind of like walking the edge of a razor blade. So God help you, you start practicing. It's kind of like meditation. You spend some time every morning and night lounging in bed, drinking, and that feeling of being on the edge of wakefulness. 
You can feel it like an intuition. And you start recalling that body memory in the office while you're filling out your busy work. One fine morning, you're doing your practice and a gaunt, lanky creature with skin the palest white and black holes where its eyes should be strolls past the opening of your cubicle. Just to your right, plain as day, you nearly repeat the stunt with the chair again, but you manage to land square on your feet this time. You peek your head around the cubicle and see the back of your co-worker Craig as he walks away. He slows a halt, looks over his shoulder, and gives you a wink before continuing on his way. You and Craig aren't that friendly. You think you see a smirk on his face. But was he too quick for you to get a good look? It's just your imagination, right? Right? That concludes the final story of episode 5. We've discussed the mind playing tricks on me. Is it paranoia? Is it insomnia? Or is it a demon lurking from a curse placed on you? This has been your host, Philip Adatan, on Jack in the Dark.